My name is Joe Hawkins, and this is the History of the Mormon Church and 50 Objects podcast. Hello there, and welcome to History of the Mormon Church and 50 Objects, Episode 19, The Gadfield Elm Chapel. One of my favorite historical characters to read about is Winston Churchill. The man was a giant who overcame so many personal setbacks politically and in the military as he rose up to lead Great Britain and in some ways the Western world to victory against the Axis forces in World War II. Some of my favorite stories around Churchill are the early ones. For example, After completing high school, he finally enrolled in the military college Sandhurst after failing the entrance exam three times. But just weeks before shipping off to school, his studies were put on hold again when he fell off a bridge near his aunt's house into a tree during a particularly competitive game of chase. He was laid up in bed for three months. Also, between 1895 and 1900, while working as a war correspondent, Churchill sought to get himself transferred into as many dangerous military zones as possible, writing up his narrow escapes from the front lines for papers all around Britain. By 1899, Churchill had negotiated a salary of £250 a month, making him the highest paid war correspondent of the day. That same year, Churchill would be captured as a prisoner of war in South Africa during the Boer Wars. The Boer soldier who captured him decided not to shoot Churchill. That soldier turned out to be Louis Botha, the first Prime Minister of the Union of South Africa. Botha would later work with Churchill to help South Africa become a British Dominion. Now Churchill would return to Britain to run for political office. He would slowly rise in the political ranks through hard work. We all know how that story turns out with Churchill. But before he saved Britain and the West, Churchill would save the Mormons. In July of 1910, Mormon missionaries were expelled from the country of Germany. The German people were worried that Mormons were recruiting women to be polygamous brides in America. These fears and rumors spread to Britain, where the church was experiencing explosive growth. Fictional books were being written about the evil Mormon men coming to Britain in the guise of honest businessmen. They would then lure young girls to follow them, drag them back to America, and submit them to older men to serve as polygamous wives. We can laugh off these rumors today, but at the time, it became a real fear in Britain, and they were considering outlawing Mormonism, expelling all missionaries, and ejecting all practicing Mormons. So who took up the call to investigate the Mormons? Winston Churchill. It seems he approached this task like he did all the rest, with complete thoroughness. First, Churchill investigated all Mormon proselyting activities. What were they teaching? How often and to whom? Churchill would instruct the police to contact the missionaries' landlords to find out about their habits and their visitors. Churchill would talk to mailmen and have them interviewed about the Mormons' correspondence. Churchill would collect Mormon tracts, counted their numbers, and wrote to converted Mormons in the States. He even had agents attend Mormon Sunday services to gauge the intent of their messages. Churchill's conclusion? The Mormons weren't guilty of anything for which they were accused. Churchill even went as far as to call in a ceasing of all protesting against the Mormons. To this point, there had been a feeling to kick out the Mormons and take hold of their assets, but the Mormons would get to keep them all, including the object of our podcast today, 
Today's object is the Gadfield Elm Chapel. So what is the Gadfield Elm Chapel? Before we talk about it, let's catch up on the Mormon stateside and detail how they got to Britain. In 1837, the turbulent waves seemed to be finally settling for the Mormons. Church growth was still rocketing as their message seemed to resonate with the people. The Mormons had, by this time, eclipsed the 16,000-member mark. In Missouri, to avoid further conflict, the Missouri General Assembly created Caldwell County in December of 1836 and dedicated it for the settlement of the Mormons. Within just a year and a half, it would be settled with over 4,000 Mormons. One Mormon family even founded a lovely settlement in Caldwell County and recruited family members and friends to settle in near him. They ended up calling the beautiful spot Hans Mill. If you're Mormon, you probably just cringed a bit knowing what will happen there in a few years. In Kirtland, the temple was founded and things were relatively peaceful. But in the following year, the United States was rocked by the Panic of 1837. A terrible recession hit the Americans and saw almost 60% of the banks closed and fortunes lost everywhere. This would cause dissension among the Mormons, and Joseph Smith would feel the heat of criticism for how the church handled its finances. We'll talk about this in more detail in the following episodes, but with Joseph Smith facing a bit of warm opposition among some of his leaders, what was he inspired to do at this time? Call some of his most faithful leaders to missions in Great Britain. To this point, the Mormons hadn't crossed the ocean. So on June 4th, 1837, Heber C. Kimball of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles wrote in his journal, quote, The prophet Joseph came to me while I was seated in front of the stand of the Kirtland Temple and whispered to me, saying, Brother Heber, the Spirit of the Lord has whispered to me, Let my servant Heber go to England and proclaim my gospel and open the door of salvation to that nation. End quote. The thought was overpowering to Elder Kimball. Three companions, Elder Orson Hyde, Elder Willard Richards, and Brother Joseph Fielding, who was a priest, were called in just about as dramatic a manner. And so the four departed from Girtland on June 13, 1837. Three more would join their ranks, and the seven would be the first missionaries to board the ships and sail for England, arriving in Liverpool on July 20, 1837. Two days later, the Mormons went by coach to Preston, England. It was election day in Preston, and just as their coach arrived, the missionaries noted a large banner unfurled almost above their heads. In bold letters, it bore the inscription, Truth will prevail. The Mormons must have thought, yes, truth will prevail. And in the eyes of the Mormons, it did end rather quickly. Now, Joseph Fielding's brother was a reverend in Preston at the Vauxhall Chapel. Reverend James Fielding Curious about his brother's message, announced that after church services that Sunday, the Mormons would be allowed to preach to any that should care listen. First, Elder Heber C. Kimball got up and declared that an angel had visited the earth and committed the everlasting gospel to man. He called their attention to the first principles of the gospel and gave them a brief history of the nature of the work which the Lord had commenced on earth. It was the first sermon taught by Mormons in England. His sermon was followed by a passionate testimony by Elder Hyde. It's recorded that many in the congregation received this and shouted, Glory to God. The missionaries stayed after for some time and conversed with the congregation. Reverend Fielding would let them preach on two additional occasions before he realized he was losing his flock. But it was too late. The work had begun. Nine people were baptized in the River Ribble on July 30th. One of the converts baptized that day was Anne Elizabeth Walmesley. She was an invalid, 
whose case had been given up on by the local doctors. Anne said she was promised by the missionaries that if she would believe, repent, and be baptized, she would be healed. So she was carried to the water, and after her baptism, she said she began to recover. During her confirmation, a blessing was pronounced, and the disease was rebuked. According to her diary, her recovery was immediate. Soon she was attending to her household duties. She later immigrated to Utah and died several decades later in Idaho. Going forward, the Mormon missionaries couldn't keep up with the demand to hear their message. They would hold a conference in Preston on Christmas Day of 1837. At this point, they had organized branches in Preston, Walkerfold, Alston, Bedford, Eccleston, Wrightington, Exton, Uxton Bath, Dobbers Lane, Chorley, Whittle, Leyland Moss, Ribchester, Thornley, Clitheroe, Waddington, Downham, Barshleys, Askin, Hunters Hill, Stony Gate Lane, Chatburn, Penwortham, and many more places. I mention all of those just so you can capture how much work they accomplished in such a short period of time. Over the next two years, the Mormons would baptize thousands of people. In 1840, Joseph Smith decided to call his entire quorum of 12 apostles to Great Britain for a year-long mission. Upon arrival, Brigham Young was made mission president of Great Britain, and the work would really take off. Among the apostles to arrive in Great Britain was Wilford Woodruff. While preaching in Hanley, England, Wilford came upon a man named John Benbow, who was a preacher for a group called United Brethren, who were about 600 people in number and, according to Brother Benbow, seeking light and knowledge. Wilford went to meet them on March 2, 1840, and on March 6, John Bembo, his wife, and six friends were all baptized. Wilford would then go on for several months, teaching and preaching daily, and in just two months he baptized over 1,000 people. So, here we are. It's 1840. Aside from the numbers, what did the converted United Brethren donate to the Mormon Church? The Gadfield Elm Chapel. So, back to our original question. What is the Gadfield Elm Chapel? The Gadfield Elm Chapel is the oldest existing Latter-day Saint chapel still in possession by the Mormons. Just to clarify here, Mormons have two basic houses of worship. Chapels where everyone, Mormon and non-Mormon alike, are invited. They are there to hold their Sunday services, including the sacrament. It's where wards and branches meet to worship and hold fellowshipping activities. Temples, like we discussed last week, are different. Mormons don't attend temples on Sundays. They go during the weekdays and make covenants with God. Only covenanted Mormons can enter the temples. The Gadfield Elm Chapel kind of marked a turning point for the church. They had built their temple in Kirtland, where they worshipped on Sundays, but in all other cities they worshipped together in a member's home. This would mark a turning point for the Mormons as chapels became seen as a place to worship and keep sacred for Sunday services. Today, there are over 30,000 Mormon chapels around the globe. If you want to see one, you can look one up on LDS.org. It'll show you the nearest chapel. The Mormons will welcome you and allow you to look around. Now, what happened with the Gadfield Elm Chapel? It's still standing in England and owned by the Mormons. They no longer have services there as it's now a historic landmark for the Mormon church. The building had been sold to pay for passage for converted Mormons wanting to emigrate to America to be near the Mormon headquarters but the church later bought it back. Now, how can one see the Gadfield Elm Chapel today? You can Google it. There's pictures online that show you what it looks like. If you're in England, you can go and visit it and see this historic building. So, 
How did the Mormons do in England after this time? Brigham Young would later reflect on his year in Great Britain following, quote, We landed in the spring of 1840 as strangers in a strange land and penniless, but through the mercy of God we have gained many friends, established churches in almost every noted town and city in the kingdom of Great Britain. We've baptized between seven and 8,000 people this year, printed 5,000 books of Mormon, 3,000 hymn books, 2,500 copies of the Millennial Star, and 50,000 tracts, and emigrated to Zion 1,000 souls. We've established a permanent shipping agency which will be a great blessing to the Mormons and have sown in the hearts of many thousands the seeds of eternal truth, which will bring forth fruit to the honor and glory of God. And yet we have lacked nothing to eat, drink, or wear. In all these things, I acknowledge the hand of God. End quote. The Mormon church would now go on to flourish in Great Britain, which would open the door to other countries in Europe. But, unfortunately, the states didn't have a leader as thorough as Winston Churchill would be for the Mormons in Britain. In America, things are going to go from bad to worse. Well, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the History of the Mormon Church and 50 Objects on the Gadfield Elm Chapel. As always, if you have questions or comments, you can reach out to me directly at joehomc, historyofmormonchurch at gmail.com. I'd love any and all feedback. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media or rate me on iTunes. It goes a long way. Thanks again for listening.